when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Matthew 21, one through 11. Thank you for reading this morning, Shannon. Good morning, Carolinas. There's a couple seats in the front row for the brave. In the back, we'll um, we'll like help you come up front if you need it. There's a few up in the front, so come in at any point in time. All right. Hey, if you want to make an entrance, you make if you make a statement, just like that. That was actually the opening line to the sermon. So you just showed us how to do it. If you want to make a statement, you make an entrance. Isn't this what happens? On the wedding day, isn't this why everyone dresses up in costume and the music comes alive and the bride comes last and we all stare? Because if you want to make a statement, you make an entrance. You want to make a statement, you make an entrance. That's what happens, uh, hey, at the sports arena when the lights go down and the spots come up and the music blares and the announcer says, you're, I'm all nervous what I should say next. <laughs> well, see, where I'm from, they say, Los Angeles Lakers, but that's not my team. It's, all, it's okay. <laughs> Golden, State Golden State Warriors is my team this week. Yeah. I don't know. Shall I say Duke or Chapel Hill? Chapel. Well, there you go. That was clear. <laughs> if you want to make a statement, you make an entrance. Isn't that, that what happens when, uh, when uh, the first car takes the lap and the flag's out and the star-spangled banner and someone says, gentlemen or drivers, depending on the lineup, start your engines. We can't just start the race. We have to make an entrance. If you want to make an entrance, if you want to make a statement, you make an entrance. And this, friends, is what happened in the year 332 BCE. This is a long time ago, 300 years before Jesus. At the gates of Jerusalem comes Alexander the Great. And you all had to study Alexander the Great in your world history. You know this guy. He's known for leveling village after village after village. Wherever Alexander has been, trauma has been. On this particular day, he comes to the gates of Jerusalem and the high priest meets 
Alexander at the gates. Alexander is on the back of his stallion. His stallion's name is Bucephalus. He cuts a deal. That's a great name, right? Bucephalus. Go ahead and try and say it. Bucephalus. He cuts a deal with the high priest. The high priest comes to the gates and meets Alexander. And for Alexander's cooperation, for that alliance, for that allegiance, Alexander will let the Jews remain alive. He'll let them keep their religious practices. Now, the story with Alexander and his stallion, if you travel today, if you go to the city of Macedonia, in the, city, in the, the capital in Macedonia, here they have featured Alexander on his horse, Bucephalus, a black stallion. They hope to show us the might and the mass of this creature. Alexander and his stallion became close, and on the back of that stallion, he did the most of his destruction as he worked his way across the world. If you could picture the city gates then, that this is uh, what comes to meet the high priest. Now, the story is that this black stallion could not be tamed. He was as wild as wild could be until the teenage Alexander met him. The teenage Alexander was the first to mount his back, ride him, tame him, and he turned him into a creature for his own purposes. The two of them, they're featured prominently on coins and flags and all sorts of Propaganda from the earliest of days, Alexander and his warhorse, Bucephalus. So for this allegiance, the Jews get to remain alive. The Jews get to continue their religious practices. And hey, that's better than the alternative. The year 332 BCE. Can you imagine the high priest and Alexander? This is the ancient city, the city of Zion, Jerusalem, David's city, and they're cutting a deal with Alexander. We go forward 300 years. Now we can imagine our Jesus. And the rumor has long been circulating about another ruler, leader, teacher, healer of another kind. This one represents the kingdom of God, that kingdom of God. Oh, this should be good. You want to talk about power? The one representing the kingdom of God is about to enter Jerusalem. This is the power, friends, that, that pulled back the edges of the universe and put the sun and the moon and the stars in their place. This is the power that separated the heavens from the earth and the water from the land. This is the power that grew and sprouted every plant and tree that sculpted every animal and shaped every human body. The kingdom of God is about to enter Jerusalem. That's going to be some kind of power. So the story goes, as Shannon read for us earlier today, and thank you for reading Matthew 11. Now you're ready to hear it again. Jesus gave two disciples this task. Go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you'll find a donkey. It'll be tied up. It'll have a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anybody says anything to you, say that the Lord needs it. He sent them off right away. Now that this, hap now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said, that would be the prophet Zechariah. Say to your daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went, they did just as Jesus ordered. They brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them. Then he sat on them. 
Now a large crowd had spread their clothes on the road, and others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in the front and behind shouted. Their song is, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is left out of the whole city? No one. Everyone is stirred at what they see this day. Who is they, this, they asked. The crowd's answer, it's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Yeah, if you want to make a statement, get on a donkey. Right? If you want to make a statement, get on the back of a peasant's animal, a labor animal, a pack horse. That sounds like a brilliant idea. If you want to make a statement... Um, do this. This is what a Messiah looks like. Time Magazine, 2011. Top 10, top 10 heroic animals of all time in American culture. You can imagine if they're going to get a top 10 list of most popular, well-known animals, they're probably thinking film, okay? So, top 10 animals. Here's a couple of them. The first one. No, stay there. Go back, go back, go back, go back. That's perfect. You have to ask your parents or your grandparents. <laughs> Thank you, less young ones in the room. That's Ben-Hur. That's Charlton Heston. That's Charlton Heston and his horse. This is close to the top of the list. Now you can take us to Russell Crowe. There's our Russell Crowe. Gladiators, Russell Crowe and his horse. They make it on this list from Time Magazine. And of course... Hello, Brad Pitt. The movie is what? Achilles. Achilles, and this is Brad Achilles, playing Achilles, and his horse. They make it on this list of top ten heroic animals of all time. Nowhere on this list will you find a donkey. Donkey never makes the cut. We see Jesus on this donkey. If you want to make a statement, get a donkey. Yeah. Grab a pack animal. If you want to make a statement, get yourself some warriors. There'll be men and women and children and teenagers. There'll be peasants. They'll be your warriors for the day. Go ahead and arm them with just arm them with their outer robe like this. And, and, and let them pull some palm branches off of the tree. They'll, that'll work great for weapons. Give them a battle cry, a song so that everyone will know when they hear them sing who these warriors belong to. Yeah, give them a battle cry like, Hosanna! God save us. You want to make a statement? Make an entrance. And the Bible says the whole city is stirred. This is our Jesus on the back of the donkey. Jesus comes in, gets off the donkey. He goes over to the temple. He looks around. He's angry. So he does a few things. He throws out the church treasurers. He throws out the church administrators and leaders. Why is he angry? Because those people standing with authority in the temple are deciding how much it will cost people who've come to the city for Passover. Jesus uh, notices that the leaders are deciding how much it will cost the common people to get into the temple. 
What's it going to be that day? How much sacrifice do they have to bring? And they'll change their money into temple currency, and they'll rip them off, and they'll stand in judgment. And for that, Jesus kicks them out and says, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. Get out of here. You can imagine him doing that, putting his hands on his hips, and he walks away and he sleeps for the night. Which is bizarre because when Alexander came to Jerusalem and when anyone else has come to Jerusalem, see, Jerusalem knows what to expect. They expect a war and a fight. They expect weapons. They expect to hear screams and cries. They expect a winner and a loser. They expect someone will mint a new coin, plant a new flag, and for sure they'll leave soldiers outside of the temple to secure the safety. And then they'll walk away for the night and sleep. What in the world is Jesus doing as he enters Jerusalem this day? You want to make a statement? Do this, Jesus. This is the best you've got, Jesus. Someone must want to ask that day. When we hear stories about Jesus like this in our Bible, sometimes your teachers or your pastors will say words like this. Jesus, is, he's so countercultural, Right? He, he just turns things upside down, countercultural. It's radical. We use language like that when we come to scenes like the one I've described. Something happens in our brain when we try to process a warrior who comes on the back of a donkey if we pause long enough for the story. See, my guess is most of us heard this growing up in church. Many of you heard it growing up in Sabbath school class with a little felt board. Am I right? Right? That, there was no Bucephalus thing Jesus got on top of. That was a donkey. We are so used to hearing these stories, so my guess is if we pause, we'll have to pause to understand why this story challenges us. Something happens in the brain. The brain starts com competing ideas. It's confusing to imagine the strongest power in the world on the back of a donkey. Let me show you what this looks like out where I live, right? The Los Angeles County Fair. Y'all have the fair around here. The county fair, the state fair, pretty good one, Pastor Phil? Yeah. Do you go there and eat fair food? No, you don't go. Uh, I don't know if he's telling me the truth right now. I kind of feel like Carolina might specialize in fair food. They do. I kind of feel like you all could take the award. Here's the new food at the Los Angeles County Fair this last year. Let me show you the new fair food, all right? Yeah, they're stealing from you all. That's chicken and waffles in a waffle cone. That's chicken and waffles in a waffle cone. What's that? You go, I heard somebody. It's not mushrooms. It's not hush puppies. This is California. So think green, think avocados. We grow avocados. Now this is deep fried guacamole. Deep, oh, deep fried guacamole. Look good, right? Now you want to go to the fair, don't you? Now tell me what you think this last one is. Right. It could be deep fried anything. You all are correct. Remember, brand new food this year, the fair food in L.A. County, Pomona, one of the biggest fairs. This, friends, is what they call deep fried slim fast. <laughs> what? 
deep fried slim fast, it's really on the menu? And people really bought it? Now you see that thing that's going on in your mind right now? You all went, what? That's a real thing that happens in the brain. At the same state fair, you can go into the science building where the teacher exhibits are and you can look at another exhibit that will help us understand what's going on in our brain when we see deep fried slim fast. It's called the Stroop effect, where there are competing ideas in the brain. We're going to practice right now. Check out this chart. Now, you've seen these charts maybe when you were younger or somewhere. If you're a teacher, you had to go through this. It's pretty self-explanatory, correct? The color is what the color says, and your brain, everything is working in your brain when you see that chart. But the next chart that's going to come up will not be so easy. In the next graphic, the words and the colors will be all mixed up. Now, the point on this one is that you're supposed to say the color, not the word. So one, two, three, go. really good students. Black. It takes a minute, right? You're such good students in the Carolinas. Wow. Now try this next one. You're going to say the animal, not the word. Say the animal. Go. See, there's a, that's a little easier than the colors, but there's a real thing going on. Your brain is working hard because there are competing forces happening. It's a real dynamic in the brain. They call it the Stroop effect when the brain is having to work that hard. But this is exactly what happens when Jesus enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and everyone is expecting something from the kingdom of God and what they get is a guy on a donkey. Inside the brain, there are now competing forces. What is really going on this day? There is a script for a Messiah. Listen, it's as old as old can be. When Jesus was a little boy, they heard these stories growing up. If you want to be the ruler, then get yourself a war horse for sure. Get yourself an army. Arm yourself. Get yourself a battle cry. Get a vision and mission statement and march in and take control. And when you're done, you'll plant a flag and you'll leave some people behind to protect. You'll claim the space. And Jesus does none of this. Even more startling would be that on this particular weekend, on the other side of Jerusalem, will be Pilate and his army. And they will have horses. And they'll have eagles, bronze eagles mounted on posts. And they'll have leather whips. And they'll be so well armed and ready. Pilate is on guard with many soldiers this night because they're expecting, well, a riot. It's Passover. Jerusalem is packed. 
Can you picture that now in your mind and the, co the competition there on one side of the town is Pilate heavily armed with his soldiers and on the other side of Jerusalem is Jesus with a pack animal and some peasants. This is our leader. We just sang earlier, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. We're not looking at the guy on the back of Bucephalus. We're not looking at Pilate, who's got all the weapons stashed. We're looking at the man on the donkey. This is our Jesus in our story today. The question the story asks us is, hey, who rules Jerusalem? Who rules the world? Who rules us? We decided to try and take this more seriously two years ago at our church, the, the donkey idea. So we thought, let's, we'll, 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 um, we'll take it so seriously, we'll bring a donkey to church. Someone thought this was a good idea. And she's a pastor. So we called a donkey person. They rent donkeys. They're particularly busy the weeks leading up to Easter, you could imagine, right? We called a donkey person, a woman, and said, can we uh, have a relationship with your donkey for the weekend, right? We have two services on Sabbath. We'd like the donkey to come and help us understand the story of Jesus' triumphal entry. So we rented a donkey. Um, here's, here, I'll just show you a clip from our second service, our contemporary service. Hosanna's in there, because <laughs> what you can't see is the lady down the side going like this, pulling on the donkey, trying to get the donkey to come forward. I don't know if you noticed when he got in front of the platform, he moved a little quicker, moved to the side. <laughs> During the earlier service when it was the pipe organ, one of the most beautiful pipe organs that side of the Mississippi, when that pipe organ came on and the donkey came in the front door, he literally jumped off the ground. <laughs> His ears went like this. I'm like, oh, this is a disaster. This is such a disaster. I sat on the platform going, Lord, get this donkey out of the church. <laughs> and in between the worship services, I'm talking with the lady who's tending her donkey. He's eating some grass. And I'm saying to her, he's got one more service to go. I'm thinking you shouldn't feed him right now. Yeah. 
but please don't feed him right now. Please don't. He just barely made it the first service. Please don't. She looked at me and said, he's a donkey. You think you can control this? <laughs> These are very nervous little creatures. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Yeah, he did. Uh, no, 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 no. Outside, outside. It's all, you, boy, look at you all. But that's exactly what was in my head. There's not going to be a donkey in the church again. We learned our lesson, but can I tell you, at the early service, when the donkey made his first round in front of the platform with a pipe organ playing this Hosanna, a different Hosanna song, the donkey came right in front of where I was standing, and I was overcome for a moment. I was so overcome I couldn't speak with the mess and the humanness and the reality of our leader the representation of the kingdom of God, God with flesh on the back of a donkey, letting the world know what the kingdom of God would be like. It was very overwhelming for me to see Jesus, the representation of Jesus on a donkey. Jesus on a donkey. Now take seriously what Matthew said. Matthew said, and we specifically read Matthew's story this morning. Luke tells the same story. Matthew has two donkeys. You heard that earlier, right? Go get them. And Jesus sat on them, right? Luke only has one donkey. Matthew has two. Or Mark has one. Mark has one. Uh, Luke ha Matthew has two. Sorry, I'm going to get it straight. Mark has one. Matthew has two. It's important we know this about our Bibles because this is one of the critiques in the world that the Bible has, the Bible doesn't tell the same stories in the same way, that the Bible contradicts itself. It's one of the critiques in the world why people don't read the Christian scriptures. Can we talk for a minute about Matthew's two donkeys? Because the text clearly says he's got two of them. Here are some of the ways it gets explained down through history when, when scholars and thoughtful people try and understand what is Matthew doing? Some people say, well, Matthew, he's reading Zechariah. Zechariah has two. Matthew's just going to be a literalist. He's going to put two in his story. The problem is he's not really reading. The, there's been language translations, and he can't really read what, what Zechariah was writing in Hebrew. And so Matthew just puts them both in and closes the scroll, and he's done with it because he doesn't really know what to do with it. That's one explanation. Matthew's just being a literalist. The second one, Matthew wants to fix Mark's story because Mark probably wrote first. Mark's only got one donkey, but Matthew knows that Zechariah, the prophet, writing hundreds of years earlier, right, generations earlier, Zechariah's got two. So Matthew decides to fix the story and get two donkeys in there, even though it challenges our sensibilities. Who rides two donkeys? Do you straddle them? How in the world would you do that? Someone ought to be asking the question. That's one explanation for why two donkeys in Matthew. A third, well, we just accept that this is one of the great textual differences. The Bible has a lot of differences like this. God has different authors, different writers. Hey, Ellen White writes a lot about this topic. Don't be so worried. Different people still tell stories different ways. That's one of the explanations. Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther says, hey, give Matthew a break. He should get to tell the story however he wants to tell the story. Sometimes, Martin Luther says, 
There are times that story inspires scripture, and there are times that scripture inspires story. Give Matthew a break. Leave him alone. There can be two donkeys in the story, Martin Luther says. I can guarantee you no children's felt board you used when you were a kid ever had two donkeys. You never tried to make Jesus straddle two creatures. This was just not part of your storytelling or mine. In fact, in my search, I'm try- I searched for a long while trying to see if I could find artists who would put two creatures in Jesus's entry story. I found only one. This is the French artist. His name is Flanders. In this image, and we'll leave it on the screen for a moment, there are two donkeys. There are two creatures, I should say. I am persuaded that we don't need to give Matthew a break. I think Matthew knows exactly what he's doing. I think when Matthew wants to imagine and illustrate Zechariah, he's reading all of Zechariah's prophecy, not just the one verse we tend to read. I think that Matthew is imagining when Jesus enters Jerusalem, this is Jesus' most visible, highly public moment. He's entering Jerusalem, and in a week he'll be going to the cross in most gospel stories, right? This is Jesus' moment to express what the kingdom of God will look like. I don't think we need to give Matthew a break. I think when he looks to put Jesus in the story, he finds the most gentle and stable and protective image he can imagine. Jesus on a mother donkey with a colt, a baby following along. The kingdom of God is like this. Because Zechariah 9, when we read the rest of the verses, this is what it says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king will come to you. He's righteous and victorious, humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the offspring of a donkey. This is the rest of the verse, though. Verse 10, he will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, The bow used in battle will be cut off and he will speak peace. He will speak what to the nations? He'll speak peace to the nations. How can you speak peace to the nations if you're on the back of Bucephalus? He'll speak peace to the nations and his his rule will stretch from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. When the disciples... Hope for an alternative to the broken systems. I'm not sure they would have imagined a Jesus on the back of a donkey. Breaking down systems that have hurt them for so long. My instinct, friends, will always be to use my power for myself. If you've been with us since Sunday night, this is exactly how we began. In the world, we all have power. Everyone in this room today has power from the oldest to the youngest little baby vocalizing that we can hear right now. Every one of us have power from that baby who can cry. That's how the baby has power and gets our attention. The toddler who won't swallow her mouth full of green beans if she doesn't want to. The teenager who will break curfew if he wants to. The parents will make more rules because they want to and they can, to the grandparents and the great-grandparents who won't leave their homes for safer living environments because they don't have to if they don't want to. We all have power, 
some degree of power or another in our control. The man on the donkey asks us today, how will we use our power? Just the power that's in our hands, my instinct will always be to grab more power for myself, more power for my family, my daughters, my husband, my family first. Then maybe I'll think about you. Then maybe I'll think about my church. Then maybe I'll think about the community and the rest of the world. My instinct will always be to hoard my power for myself until I see my Jesus on a donkey. And I remember that he came for a world to experience peace. When that happens, the power equation gets interrupted. One author says it this way, the gospel has to be good news for everyone. And for that to happen, I might need to release some of my power. We all have some degree of power or another. A leader on a donkey causes a stroop effect in our brain. Competition. When I was a kid at camp meeting, they sang this song. He could have called 10,000 angels. Do you remember this one? It's an oldie. To destroy the world and set us free. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he died alone for you and me. It is not that Jesus has all the power. It's not just that he has this power. It's what Jesus does with his power. It is what Jesus does with the power. Then it is what we do with the power. Jesus is placed in our hands every day. The question will be, what are you going to do today, Chris, with the power Jesus left with you? Will it be to build up? When we're asked to rule, it is not to ruin. When we're asked to have dominion, it's not domination. Every day, the question will be the same. What are you doing with your power today? So this week, we've looked at the things that challenge us with our power. We've looked at the ways uh, we're challenged. I want to hoard my power for myself. I'm not sure. One or two of these nights this week, we said, I'm not sure when Jesus asked us to engage the world, he really meant face-to-face, up close, cheek-to-cheek. We're sometimes afraid to use our power that way. Sometimes we're challenged to use our power on Wednesday night, we said, because we have real beasts in our life that get in the way from us being in the world and attending to Jesus' business. On Thursday night, we said, yeah, and sometimes we need to repent because we haven't caught that God's dream is really that big. What are we doing with the power that's in our hands? I'm especially now looking at the young adults in the room. We're grateful all the rest of you came, by the way. But the young adults and the younger generation in the room, I'm looking at you right now because you have more power than you know and a future in front of you to decide what you're going to do with this power. Many of you enrolled in an education or in graduate school right now, you become the elite of our world. Did you know that? Because you possess a college education. The man on the donkey wants to know, what are you going to do with the power in your hands? How will you take the power God's given you through the talents God's given you, the way it'll be expressed by only you. And how will the world then know by looking at you that we're the ones that decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. In 2011, far from Carolina, there was a ceremony. The ceremony had a history. 
We're in India where this story took place. In India, they were following the trends for many years, decades now, and they noticed that for every thousand boys that were born, less girls were being born or surviving. They followed that trend and they realized, the health experts, that, well, because boys were preferred to girls, many of the girls were, their lives were being taken, they were being left out to the elements to die, or when they were born, if you could see that it was a girl instead of a boy, then, then the parents would get rid of this infant. They had no use for this girl. After generations, they realized that this was what was going on. For generations, girls were given names to sort of represent their inferior status. Listen, friends, it's also easy to point fingers at other cultures, okay? So that's not where I'm going this morning. The girls were given names to represent the fact that they were unwanted. In Hindi, their names are things like this, Nakusa, Nakushi, which means unwanted. But in this one city, in the district of Satara, there was just one man in charge of sort of the health and welfare of that little region. That one man noticed that girls were not surviving and the boys were the ones thriving. And so he decided that he would, um, well, he would hold a naming ceremony. He would allow all the girls to choose a new name. They were even all given the opportunity, choose your own name and show up at City Hall, and in one ceremony, we're going to rename you all. We're going to give you all new certificates bearing your new name. Many of these girls chose names of Hindu, Hindu gods and goddesses, goddesses or Bollywood stars. There was one girl that the reporters talked to who chose a new name, Ashmita, Ashmita. She said it was her grandfather who gave her the name Unwanted the day she was born. She chose the name Ashmita because it means rock hard and very strong. She said it feels so nice to walk around school now having people call me Ashmita knowing I am rock hard and strong. And her certificate reads with that name. That day, a couple hundred girls, 285, began a new life. How'd that happen? It was just one guy in charge of sort of taking care of the statistics and the health and the disease in town. It's just one guy who's supposed to make sure people stay well and get their vaccines. It's just one guy who noticed hey, why are the girls dying and the boys aren't? So he began to invest in the families. Hey, if you have a girl, we'll give you coupons for food to feed her. If you have a girl, we'll give you coupons to enroll her in school. If you get her in school and all the way through graduation, we'll give your family another incentive. If we can just get them born and keep them alive, we'll give them new names. just one guy I'm pretty sure he thought he showed up in that city to make sure nobody got bad drinking water and look what he did with his power how many lives are changed there 
The guy on the donkey is always going to ask us, what are you doing with your power today? <laughs>